If you have your Bibles with me, and I pray that you do, I ask you to turn to the first chapter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Have y'all ever watched uh, on TV the gymnastics competitions? Anybody ever watch gymnastics? Um, so it's kind of interesting. Women, or sometimes men, um, I, most of the ones I've seen have been women, but sometimes it's men too. Uh, they do these various different events. There's there's this floor routine uh, where there's a whole lot of a whole lot of somersaults and jumping around, and that just makes me dizzy looking at it. Yeah, there's the rings which look really, really easy, but are not. Uh, it takes a whole lot of strength to do the rings. There's the uh, pommel horse, which is just fun to say. Uh, no, it doesn't look like it's easy to do, but it's really fun to say pommel horse. But one of the events that uh, that kind of captures my attention is the balance beam. Now, y'all know the balance beam. You've been doing this since you were knee-high to a grasshopper, right? You, there's this little thing, um, small area to walk on, maybe about this wide or so, and you have to find a way to stay on it. Now, it's hard enough for me to walk across a balance beam, but they're doing all kinds of flips and stuff and all kinds of different jumping up and landing, and it's so easy to fall off of a balance beam. Right? If it wasn't easy, if it, if it was easy to stay on, it wouldn't really be a competition, would it? But it's so easy. There's any number of things that can mess you up. Your weight shifts a little bit too much, you could fall. You misput your foot down just a little bit and you could fall down. It's so easy. And you, and you could fall in all sorts of different directions. It's not just like one way to mess up. There's so many different ways to mess up. And just as there are many different ways to mess up on a balance beam, there's many different ways to mess up with the truth. That's why in the Old Testament, you'll sometimes run across the command, do not stray from it to the right or to the left. Because there are so many different ways to err. So many different ways that we can go wrong. That's actually what's happening in the Galatian churches. We've talked a little bit about the nature of the Judaizer problem. But today, I, what I want to show you is the effect of it. I want us to take a look, a little bit of a case study, to find out how we can be cursed. Now, raise your hands. Who wants to be cursed? Yeah, exactly. Nobody, right? You go out into the mall or to Walmart or somewhere, and you, and you just do a survey. Do a, do a straw poll survey. I'm doing a quick survey. Would you rather be blessed or cursed? I doubt very many people are going to say cursed. But yet, sometimes we found ourselves cursed, especially when we deviate from the truth. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at Paul's description of how they turned away from the gospel. And we'll learn how error can leave us vulnerable to the judgment of God. We'll learn how to be cursed. Obviously, this is a don't do this kind of a message. But we're in Galatians chapter 1. Stand with me as we read verses 6 through 10. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. This is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For now, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning. Father, help us to stay true to your word. Teach us that we may enact your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, this is, this is one of those um, short but powerful kind of sermons. In fact, there's only one point that I have in this entire sermon. And you'll see it on the back of your bulletins. You'll see that I've broken it up into three parts, but it's all one sentence. And so by the, by the time we get to the third part, you will have the whole idea of the message. So, so it's a little bit different setup. We're not going to do a lot of alliteration, that kind of thing. We're just going to get down to the truth of the matter. And it starts with the first part. When we abandon the true gospel, when we abandon the true gospel, now, um, this is a, a difficult you think it's difficult, but it's not. You know, remember the balance beam. You can fall off in all sorts of different directions. There's all kinds of different ways to mess this up. The gospel is one of those kind of things that there's a lot of different ways to mess it up. There's a lot of different ways that we can screw up, that we can err. And it, it really, it's not something that we typically intend to do in the first place. It's something that kind of happens. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The first thing I want you to notice here is what's not here. Now, typically, when Paul writes a letter, he gives this introduction of a couple verses. Sometimes it's one verse, sometimes in Romans it's seven verses. But it's pretty fairly short introduction where he'll introduce the main topic. He'll introduce who he is and who he's writing to and kind of the main idea the main purpose of writing. You remember we talked about that last week in, in verses 1 through 5 of this book. He introduces himself. He introduces there are people with him. Uh, he's talking to the churches of Galatia. And he, said, he, he talks about uh, Jesus Christ being the one who gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age according to God's will. And then he goes into this verse. But what he normally does, if you read almost the rest of Paul's letters, you see him make some sort of statement of thanksgiving. Here, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Romans 1, 8. Gosh. Did I? Okay. Sorry. Is that in there? No. Okay, I'm sorry. Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You get that? I thank my God for you. Okay? Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And so he makes this statement that says, I thank God for you. 
I'm so thankful for you. Every time I think about you, every time I pray for you, I am so thankful to God for you. But he doesn't do that here. He doesn't make this statement to the Galatian churches. Now, why does he do that? Because he hates the Galatians? No, because they've got a crisis on their hands. If the building's on fire and you walk up to someone that you haven't seen, that, that, that you've been looking for, are you going to, ex ex uh, are you going to um, exchange pleasantries and say something like, how are you doing today? No, building's on fire. Get them out, right? It's a crisis on our hands. And when there's a crisis on our hands, what do we do? We get right to it. We get right to the matter at hand because there's no time to waste. That's how Paul feels with the Galatian churches, that there is no time to waste whatsoever. That there's, there's, forget the pleasantries, forget the thankfulness. I thank God for you, yes, but, but I don't care about that right now. What I care about right now is that you're falling into error. You're having a major crisis. Then he says, instead of saying, I thank God for you, mentioning you in my prayers, I'm so thankful for you. Instead, he just says, I am astonished. That word astonished, well, this is what it looks like. Shocked, dumbfounded. How, what, what, what are you doing? That's what Paul's saying. What are you even doing? How could... Are you even thinking? That's, I hear... Uh, maybe this is just the father of young kids in me, but, but I, I hear that sort of... Do you have any brain cells? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I am astonished. This is the same word that you use when you see a miracle. Like you just can't, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Paul says this, it's like, it's almost like a miracle in the exact opposite way. Like I cannot believe that you are doing this. He says, I am astonished. And then look at how, why is he astonished? He's astonished because they're, they're getting away from the gospel. They're abandoning the true gospel. Look at how they abandon it. That you are so quickly. They abandon it in a hurry. It's like they're running away from it. Deserting. That word, that's a decisive sort of word. It's the idea of transferring or changing over. If you move money from one bank account to another and then you realize you made a mistake, it's, it's moved. Now, we have a way of transferring it back. The idea of this, though, is you transfer it, it's gone. It would be like... Um, it would be like when you, when you go into Hudson's. Y'all ever been to Hudson's? Hudson's is this place, a salvage store in Montgomery, and I, I grew up with Hudson's in Mobile. It started in southern Mississippi, got to Mobile pretty quick. Montgomery's only seen it for the last few years. But this place, they will buy stuff super cheap from bigger stores because the boxes are damaged or because there are missing parts or this is something you returned and so because it didn't work, and so now they're going to sell it and salvage, okay? And so you can buy stuff for sometimes really, really cheap. 
from Hudson's. Um, there's a no return policy though. <laughs> so you got to make sure it works before you buy it, right? You don't, if you go to the thrift store or you go to a Hudson's and you buy something and then you come back a week later and say, this doesn't work, they, they look at you like you're trying to steal money from them. Like they, no, no, you can't return this. We have a no return policy or it's very strict. Like you have, you have four days to try those clothes on and make sure they fit or whatever it happens to be, right? It, this is the idea. It's like a no return policy. Like they're getting away from the gospel. And there's no way to go back. And Paul says, what are you doing? Not only that, they're abandoning God. Notice what they abandon. They don't just abandon certain ways of doing things. They don't even just abandon certain things to believe. They're abandoning Him. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. They're abandoning God Himself. You see, the gospel isn't just about the gospel. It's not just about the words on the page. It's about the God who wrote those words. It's about the God who enacted those words. Sending His Son to die on a cross. And when you turn away from the gospel, you're not just turning away from dogma or doctrine or tradition. You're turning away from God. And He says, how can you do that? What are you thinking? We abandon the true gospel. What we really do is doing is turning our backs on God. That leads us to another problem. When we abandon the true gospel, we often find ourselves. I think I've messed up the slides. I'm sorry. When we abandon the true gospel, we also find ourselves adopting a false gospel. That's the second set of blanks. Adopt a false gospel. When we abandon a true gospel and we adopt a false gospel, look in chapter, look in verses, verses six and seven. Now we've read the first part of this. Hold on. There it is. There it is. Okay. All right. Apparently I was in a odd spot. When we abandon the true gospel, we adopt a false gospel. We read the first part of this verse already. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Galatians have turned away from the true gospel and turned toward a counterfeit gospel. They turned away from God's truth and accepted a counterfeit. Now, how do we know the message was a counterfeit? How do we know this was fake? How do we know that what was being delivered wasn't part of the real gospel? How do we know that, like the Judaizers, one of the things that they appeared to have said about Paul was that he wasn't presenting the whole truth. That he gave you part of the truth, but he didn't give you the whole truth, and we're here to expound and give you the rest of the truth. How do we know when something is not the right gospel? And boy, this is a tough question. Because there are a lot of things that sound good. There are a lot of things that seem to align. One of the biggest problems that I am noticing in the American church is that we have adopted a false gospel. 
And I'm not just talking about the prosperity preachers who say that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and God wants you to have that nice new car and God wants you to have all of this different stuff. That God doesn't want you to get sick or need any kind of surgery or have any sort of ailment. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking among people who think that it's about them. When you look at the American church, you see people who are fashioning God into their own image. Well, think, think about the way we preach. I'm in a class where we're learning to preach from the prophets. The professor said before this class, I have been woefully inadequate in my own preaching, not preaching the prophets very much. Now, that's the professor of the class. And he's asking around students to ask how students have done preaching the prophets, how often they've done it, and they haven't done it very much either. And I'm sitting at home thinking, <laughs> I've preached a lot through the prophets. I love the prophets. But yet I also find holes in my own preaching. You know, the only sermons I have ever preached from Revelation have been the seven churches. I haven't even gotten into the rest of the stuff. By the way, that's coming eventually. It'll be a while, but I'm, I'm already starting on that because that's a hole in my preaching, and we need the whole Word of God. But the American church wants to make God into our own image. We don't want to hear the message of doom. We don't want to hear the message of repent. We don't want to hear the message of you're doing wrong, of you need to repent, and you need to align yourself with God's will. What we want is for God's will for, to be nice and comfortable and easy. It's, it's what led several years ago someone to write a song called Please Don't Send Me to Africa. God, I'll go anywhere you want to go, but please don't send me to Africa. I'll do whatever you want to do, but please don't. Please don't make me do that. You see, we make our obedience conditional and we've adopted a false gospel. Well, there's other ways we do this too, but let me show you how the Galatians turned. Look back in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. One of the ways you know, one of the ways that you know that a message is false is when it's different. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there are certain elements that you may not have noticed before. Salvation is so complex. I did a series um, on Wednesday night, some of y'all remember, of just talking about different elements of salvation. The fact that we're, the fact that we are justified before God, the fact that we're adopted as sons, the fact that we are cleansed from our sin, the fact that we are transformed, the fact that we are dead to our old fleshly way of living. That the flesh man is crucified with Christ. All of these different elements and many others that give us this full view of what it means to be saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when a message just doesn't jive. This word turn, it's, it's a word that's commonly used in the prophets. The idea is you stop going in one direction, you turn around, and you start going in a different direction. 
You might see this as the word repent. In this case, they're repenting from the truth. And they're turning to a lie. They're turning to something different. Not only is it different, it's also deceiving. Look at the beginning of verse 7. Not that there is another one. It's like you're chasing after a vapor. It's like you're chasing after something that's not real. Oh, it looks good. It seems good. It feels good, but it's not. It's not even real. It's also distressing. There are some who trouble you. They don't seem troubling. They seem nice. They seem friendly. They seem like the kind of people that have their acts together. They seem like people who are living good lives. They seem like people who, who, are, ha who are living in the blessings of God and in reality what they're really doing is they're troubling you. If you've ever used sandpaper, you know at first it's not too bad. But if you keep using it, your hands will start to get raw. Brillo pads do the same thing, right? You start using them and you're okay, but after a little while, your hands are getting wet, you keep rubbing them, and eventually you've got cuts and blisters and your hands are in bad shape because not only is it wearing down what you're trying to wear down, not only is it scrubbing off what you're trying to scrub off, it's also scrubbing off your skin and doing harm to your hands. That's what these people are doing. Didn't seem like it. That's what they do. You see, preachers of the false gospels, and there are tons of them, they do not, they, they, they look like they, they look like they're okay. And at first they feel like they're okay. But after a while, you'll start noticing the rawness. You'll start noticing how they're wearing you down. Maybe it's through making you a victim so that you don't, you don't live the way that God is truly calling you to live. Maybe it's that they, they, they are trying to get you to believe something that makes you feel good and eventually that aphrodisiac of feeling good about yourself starts to wear off and you realize that you're in worse shape or you don't have those same kind of feelings anymore because all you see is your troubles, your mistakes your heartaches, your failures. There's only so often, there's only so long that you can pretend everything's okay before you realize it's not okay. And I'm not feeling, they're, they're not feeling that way, but I am, it must not be real for me. I know people who beg God, beg God for peace, even though they have been Christians for decades because they feel like they don't have the kind of feeling that those people over there have. They don't have the kind of experience that those people have. I'm not doing the things that they're doing. Something must be wrong with me. See, this can hit in a lot of different ways. But in any case, they, they, they trouble you. It's, it's troubling. False gospels may seem fun and good, but after a while, they leave you empty. There's a lot of other things too that don't even purport to be gospels that do that. 
Sin is that exact same way, isn't it? Man, it feels nice for a while, but then it starts to feel empty. So it's troubling. It's also a distortion. Look at the end. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. What they want to do is they want to take the gospel and completely ruin it. It's been said that if you tell a lie loud enough and often enough, people will start to believe it. Little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, the truth gets distorted. And you end up so far away from where you started. What are you doing? What do you think in Galatians? What are you thinking? You've abandoned the truth and you're chasing after a counterfeit. When we abandon the true gospel and adopt a false gospel, we will be cursed. There's no way around it. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you. It doesn't matter who it is. If it's me, if I'm the one that preaches to you a different gospel, if it's an angel from heaven, now, would an angel from heaven do this? No. Well, I guess, I guess Satan was an angel from heaven. But we don't call them angels anymore, do we? The ones that turn their back on God. They're not angels anymore. He says, he says, even if an angel from heaven, no matter how ecstatic it is, no matter how wonderful it looks, no matter what it looks like or how convincing it may be on the outside, if, even if I should preach a gospel contrary, it doesn't matter what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how good it sounds, how persuasive it is. If it is contrary, it's not the real gospel, it's a false gospel. Doesn't matter. He does something interesting here, verse 8. To the one, the gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. If it's not the one that we've been preaching, because you know the one we've been preaching. But look at verse 9. He, he, as I've said before, so I'll say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, look at this, to the one you received. So not only is it a gospel that I've preached before, it's a gospel that you've received before. You've recognized the truth. You've staked your life on it. You know that it's the truth. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what they're saying. If it's contrary to the gospel that I preach and that you have received, let him be accursed. This isn't just, oh well. Better luck next time. The word here is anathema. Anathema. Let him be delivered over to God for judgment. 
I don't know how much stronger you can get than that. You see, the problem, the problem is that the false gospels are so, they're so tempting. And there's so many different ways to fail. It is so easy for us to give up the true gospel in favor of something that's not. It's as if the counterfeiters are just as good at making money as the government is. We had a counterfeit bill come through the other day. I didn't take it in. Someone else took it in. Um, and it was obviously fake. I mean, it, it, this person... I don't want to be mean and say this person should get fired over it, but they should get fired over it. It was bad. There's no doubt. Like, like, if you were paying even one iota of attention, you'd have caught it. Any of you would have caught this counterfeit bill. Okay? It, I mean, and I'm not downplaying you. I'm just saying, even if you don't work with money, you would have known it's fake. Okay? But I've seen some counterfeits that are pretty good. I've seen some counterfeits that'll pass the pen. They're made from the right kind of paper. Those, uh, you bleach a five and you print it higher. Don't do that. I'm not telling you to do that. But that's what this person did. I had one one time that instead of, like to, to make it look like there was a watermark, they printed on the back of the bill with very, very, very light orange paint. Or, or ink, so that when you held it up to the light, it would shine through it, and you would see the watermark. But if you turned the bill over, unless you had eagle eyesight, you would not have seen it printed on the back. I mean, this was sophisticated kind of stuff. And sometimes the counterfeit looks really, really good. But beware. Because if it ain't the truth... It'll condemn you. Notice he doesn't just put the onus on the receivers. He puts the onus on the preachers. He doesn't just say, shame on you for believing a lie. He says, he says How, what are you thinking adopting a lie? Let anyone who's lying to you to deceive you be accursed. Do you remember back in the Garden of Eden? There's this, there's this serpent in the garden. He convinces Eve to eat. Eve gives to Adam. Adam eats. And when God comes down, it's kind of interesting. God does not curse Adam and Eve. He punishes them. Eve, you're going to have pain and childbearing. Adam, the ground will not give up its fruit so easily. You're going to have to toil and work hard, blood, sweat, and tears. But he doesn't curse them. What's interesting to me is that he curses the serpent. He actually says, you are cursed. It's that same idea. You fall under God's judgment now. 
You see, what happens, we don't just have to watch out that we don't believe a false gospel. We also have to watch out that we don't deliver a false gospel. And that's just not a preacher thing. It's all of us. One of the commandments is, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm becoming more and more convinced that he's not just talking about swearing. And he's not just talking about using God's name. I'm convinced that when we live our lives contrary to the gospel of Christ, we are taking God's name in vain and we are breaking that commandment. Y'all... You want to talk about being cursed by God. When we're living in a way, when we're using our words and performing actions that are contrary to God's gospel, no matter what we say we believe, we stand cursed by God. Because anytime we leave the true gospel and we adopt a false gospel, we will be cursed. Verse 10, I didn't, I didn't put this in the PowerPoint, but verse 10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And that's really what it boils down to, doesn't it? Are we looking for God's approval or are we looking for men's? Are we looking to please ears? Are we looking to make other folks happy? Are we looking for, for friendships to be, stay, to, to stay intact? Are we looking for God to bless. Because the fact of the matter is, when you preach the truth of the gospel, you will garner enemies, you will have people opposing you. Jesus was opposed. You think you're going to be more popular than him preaching the same message? I mean, he's God. And people rejected him. Maybe it's time for us to determine that it's not so much about what other people think, but it's about what he thinks. Because when we abandon the true gospel and we adopt the false gospel, we will be cursed. This morning, I'm going to ask you two things. First of all, have you abandoned the true gospel and adopted a false one? Are you walking in the ways that are contrary to the gospel. Maybe you've been walking that way your whole life. And it's time for you to come to a place where you say, you know what, God, no more. No more. I can't do this anymore. I know that your word is spoken of your love for me and, and my disdain for you. And God, I don't want it to be that way. I know you sent your son on the cross to die for my sins. And he rose again. So God, I put trust in him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've already trusted him and you realize that you've replaced the truth of the gospel for pithy quotes. The cute things that you buy from the store to hang up on your wall that look good and sound inspirational but aren't really God's truth. 
Maybe like the gymnast. You've fallen off in ways that you didn't think you could fall off. And you just need strength to get back on. Strength to hold yourself up. Strength to keep your balance. And to walk that straight and narrow way. I'm up here at the front. I'd love to help you with any of those things. While we sing the song of invitation, you come.